What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the host of the People's Party. I know you've been enjoying it so far. We thank you for your love and support. We got more People's Party coming up. We got all types of situations that you're going to want to tune into and never forget to watch. Talib Kweli, Jasmine Lee, it is the People's Party. Let's go. Welcome to the party, people. This is the People's Party. My name is Talib Kweli. Once again, we are in the house with the lovely and talented Jasmine Lee. Everybody give it up for Jasmine Lee and the place to be. Did you notice how much our names rhyme? Kweli, Jasmine Lee, not in a traditional sense of rhyming, but yes, they do end in the same... E. Rhyming syllable. There you go, baby. <laughs> Are you ready to have a good time? Always. This next guest is a very genuine person. And you don't meet a lot of genuine people in this music business. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Like, if they get to a certain level of success, some of that genuineness leaves. But this person has been very successful. And she has remained a true, pure, genuine spirit. She's a soul songstress, a strongstress. I like that I word. I like that one too. Yeah, strong stress. Because what she does is strong. Her vocals are strong. Her presence is strong. Uh, she's from Canada. So we could call her Canadian Rose, as they say. Uh, she's been around the world. She's written for Rihanna. She's toured with Kanye. She was in a group with Drake back in the day. You know, but she has her own solo thing. She's her own woman. You know about the bridge. You know about the MF life. She got two Grammys on the People's Party today. We have one of my favorite people, Melanie Fiona's in place. Ooh, ooh, ooh. What's up, Mel? Hey, Mel? I like it. I'm feeling good. You're looking good. Oh, thanks for having me. How you feeling, Mel? Oh, man, I'm feeling good. Good, good to see you. Good to see you too. Welcome thank you. to the. Thank you for having. Oh, your chair tried to take now. me out. Your chair, hey, you tried know. To, chair tried to take me You're out. You too much for the chair. <laughs> now, let's start off with your origin story. Mm. Your people are from Guyana. Word. Do you know that you are one of the most famous Guyanese people in the world? Wow. Think about it. Think about the Guyanese artists that are famous. Do you know that Rihanna's half Guyanese? I didn't know that. I didn't. Know, I actually didn't know that until I was looking up other Guyanese artists. Yes, uh, Leona Lewis is Guyanese as well. So Rihanna from Barbados, Leona Lewis from, from the UK. UK. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Um, I am Guy- Deborah Cox is Guyanese. And where's she from? Toronto. T-Dot. That's right. Who yeah, else? Um, who else do we got? Uh, who else do we have? Socrates. My man socks. I'm so glad you brought him up. That's right. Oscar and Oscar is dad. It's a long Guyanese story. And where is he from? Guyana, Toronto. Yeah. And uh, Anjali. Anjali, yes. Mm-hmm. So why is every Guyanese artist in Toronto have a record deal? It seems like. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of them that don't. Right. But um, you know, immigration was a thing in the mm-hmm. '70s. My parents just skipped Miami and mm-hmm. all these warm places and went to Canada. And it's such a beautiful place because there's so much diversity, especially mm-hmm. Caribbean culture. Mm-hmm. And that has a huge, I think, influence on our our style, our musical approach, our taste in art, and mm-hmm. just our kind of our view of the world, I think, in general. Right. So, you know, I'm proud to be a part of the squad. Talk to me about that Caribbean influence in Toronto, because it's still, even with all of y'all, and Drake, who's not from the Caribbean, right. but even with all of y'all, like, people still don't really get it. it it is its own thing, mm-hmm. and I feel like the only other people who I feel like understand what that cultural fusion of Caribbean-ness is, mm-hmm. is the UK. Right. And so whenever, like, even when Drake put out that last album that was very, like, heavily UK-infused, and he was mm-hmm. using talks like Mandem and mm-hmm. Wasteman and certain, langu- certain language and lingo that we always use, this is what our identity is as Toronto. Mm. And I feel like in growing up there, people would be like, oh, so... What, what are you? And I'd be like, Guyanese. It'd be like, bet. Differences. It's when like I, Brooklyn. Right. Mm-hmm. When I came and to Miami. When and I came, Miami and London. When I came to the States, it was like, Ghana? Uh, Guam? Where is Guyana? Like, no one, certain parts, yeah. nobody knew what that was. And You're so, absolutely right. And so it really, I think it, it creates a community of beautiful diversity that's inspiring, that's familiar, mm-hmm. and that it's just, it's like a second language, you know? Like, yeah, we speak French, and mm-hmm. in, in, you learn it in schools, and it, what, but our language in Toronto is that Toronto slang, is that T-dot slang, like Cardi used to say that, Bacardi slang. Like, he, he started that 
on a mainstream level. I remember when Cardi went to 106 in Park and brought um, his video, mm -hmm. and you were saying, you know, um, we don't say, you know what I'm saying, we say you're done, no. You're done, you know, no, and right. we already, like, this is, it's funny because now that I have, you know, a, a family here in the States and friends and everything, I find myself translating. But right. when I go home, it just, right. it's like second nature. Now, a lot of us in the States think of Canada and, you know, our only experience with Canada is Mounties or Canadian <laughs> bacon or South Park. Or, or so, Degrassi. Or Degrassi. On, or Degrassi. I mean, but see, to me, okay, so for me, and I'm showing my age here, yes. when, when I first heard of Degrassi, it was books that was in the library. Degrassi. Oh. There was no TV show. So Degrassi was a TV show growing up as a kid. Mm -hmm. It was very different. Mm -hmm. And Degrassi was always a show that dealt with real issues. It talked yeah. about sex I remember and teen pregnancy. And like, it scared, it scared you as a child. Mm -hmm. And it was a very real, <laughs> it was a very real and heavy show. And then I think it was like Nickelodeon came mm -hmm. and like revamped it. And that's where we had the Degrassi. Okay, so Degrassi was yeah. a show in Canada yes. before it was on Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. But before the show in Canada, it was just the books. See, I didn't even know them. Yeah, it was books. just. I'm I talking about. Know, I don't know if the books came later. I'm talking about that. no. The books was first. I know the books. Degrassi, because I read them when I was a kid, like when I was in junior high school. Yeah, there definitely wasn't no TV show. Damn. I'm yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but this is like Canada. We just saw the. Is it the PM? Trudeau. The Prime Minister. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, he was. He's looked at in the political landscape for a long time as like the anti-Trump, right? And then he has, he comes out, we have these pictures of him in blackface, right? Mm. But not just a picture, so many pictures of him in blackface that he says, I don't know how many pictures y'all got. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, yeah, he said. He actually said this. His apology was very good for a white guy getting caught in blackface. I, I enjoyed reading his apology. Mm -hmm. I'm like, he gets it on a political level, but then they said, well, are there any other examples? He's like, I don't really know. And then I read some other stuff from people who work with him when he was a younger man, you know, and they were like, oh, yeah, that type of stuff they were doing all the time. You know, it's possible for a politician to be progressive, mm -hmm. to be liberal, yeah. to align with you on the issues, but still have blind spots when it comes to race issues. Absolutely. And I feel like in America, we don't know about we don't think of Canada as a racist place. We don't know about the First Nations. We don't know about the black experience of Canada, the Caribbean experience of right. Canada, the African experience of Canada. A lot of people think it's just like, you know, like Canada has no problems. Hmm. It's very interesting because I, I really do believe that the um, the racial scale, mm -hmm. if, I, if you will, in Canada is very different. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I was never forced to check a box about my ethnicity until mm. I came to this country. Mm. Okay. And that was a very different experience. I can't imagine not doing that. It's a very different experience mm -hmm. for me. I always, when I would see it, I'd just be like, other. This like, country's built on racism. Right. So they, they need to. And they need to define you. Yeah. And so in Canada, I really never felt that growing up. I never felt, like I said, I had to designate myself to belong to one thing. I was Caribbean, of Caribbean heritage. That spoke for me. I never mm -hmm. had to explain that. And so I can honestly say my experiences with racism um, never really happened, I felt like, from a lack of understanding of of culture more than just like an ignorant comment that somebody wanted to make. Mm -hmm. I never felt racism, I would say, for myself growing mm -hmm. up, you know, whether that's like the experience of who I was around, what my parents, you know, um, associated me, where, where I was affiliated in mm -hmm. schools, blah, 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 blah. Um, I never identified it as racism. As an adult coming here, I definitely understand the history of this country now. Mm -hmm. Even me coming here with me, I had blind spots mm -hmm. as a Caribbean Canadian woman, not identifying as an African American woman in this country, mm -hmm. you know, until I had to come here and realize this is how people might see me. Mm -hmm. Even though this has never been my, African American has never been my designation growing up. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting thing. Racism exists, exists everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'll say that when you live in a city that diversity is so heavily celebrated and is so heavily promoted and it's everywhere, you kind of look crazy, you look like you are the minority being racist in it because mm -hmm. it's like, we're celebrating it everywhere. Why aren't you on this? Why aren't you with this? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that this is now what we see, what's, you know, in the choosing of sides. And, mm -hmm. and when you have a person in power like you do in this country right now, it's giving power to these people that may have been closeted and quieted about right. it and kind of being like, oh, we have a right to stay. Oh, Come on, bro, you're late. Like, mm -hmm. your kids are already out here. We're already in this melting pot of a country in Canada. So, you know, I, I can honestly say there's always room to grow. 
and there's always room to evolve and continue to learn and and that's all you can really expect of people is just you may not understand that experience because it's not your own but you can try mm -hmm. to like be, be an ally and you can try to have empathy you can try to be like i will never understand what that's like but i can understand on a human level what that must feel like so i never really looked at it, I never really realized that this was a negative thing mm -hmm. in some parts of the world, to be honest. And mm -hmm. that was just my experience growing up. Now, the Toronto artistic community is very small, it seems. You you all seem to know each other. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, I'm sure there's uh, fissures and problems, but you all seem to have a, a re respect for each other. Yeah. You don't hear too much, at least from my perspective, I don't hear too much about beef in between artists from Toronto. I'm sure there's things I don't know about. Certainly in the battle rap scene, <laughs> the Toronto <laughs> battle rappers be mad as hell. <laughs> they be dope, but they be mad. Um, That's how you gotta be to win. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> king of the dot. You gotta be king. The, the life of the underdog you is an aggressive king. one. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. We fighting for our spot. Um, you got your start in a group. Well, one one group you started with was the Renaissance. Yeah. With Drake. Um, what was young Aubrey like at that point? Young Aubrey, I mean, just uh, always been talented. Mm -hmm. Always been talented. He was on Degrassi at that time. And... I remember we just started this collective and he was definitely all over the place. He was in mm -hmm. acting, he was popular, he was a hometown hero celebrity, mm -hmm. but he had this natural ability of lyric and and he could rap, the right. kid, he could just rap. And I remember him and um, another guy named Voice, Alexander, who was mm -hmm. an amazing singer, and then D10 who was on keys. We would get together and we would jam and like, there was just something about him right mm -hmm. then and there. And I can honestly say in that time, he hadn't stepped into that greatness yet because okay. television was paying the bills and television, right. you know, but it was there and I right. always saw it in him and I always saw He that. had to make a conscious decision to concentrate on music, right? Definitely. Yeah. I, think he had to sh I think he had to shift. Mm -hmm. I think he had to shift. And you know, it, it's like we all went our separate ways and he just continued down that path. And I think that he really knew that he had, to, he had something to prove, he had something to say. And it's, it's a really proud feeling to know somebody for that long and to see them recognize their greatness and then become one of the greats. Like, it's, yeah. it's like, yeah, because it could have gone any other way. Right. Like, it could have just been like, oh, I'm caught up in being a hometown celebrity mm -hmm. on television. This is paying here. my bills. I got this. I'll never forget. Or it could have been the first couple of mixtapes, first couple of albums, and then he stopped. And then he stopped, yeah. you know, or no one recognized. Right. And, you know, Lil Wayne never made that call or right. whatever. But, you know, I think that... He's always been talented and multifaceted and multi-talented. So he was going to end up doing something great. Anyways, right. I'm just really happy that it became music because it was always there. Did you see him on Saturday Night Live doing his version of a black guy from Toronto? <laughs> yeah, more times, yo. I definitely saw it, yo. More times. <laughs> more times. He was doing a great representation of my people still. You know, obviously, he's a six man. So, you know, he knows how to do the talk them. Are y'all still friends? Yeah, I mean, we see each other as often as we do in mm -hmm. passing or whatever. Life is mm -hmm. different. I wouldn't call him an enemy. Mm -hmm. But, um... But yeah, like very happy for him. Every time we see him, it's all love. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy for Drake too. I um, was very much a fan of his when he first when the mixtape first started bubbling. Mm -hmm. Listen. Um, you like Drake? Man, girls love Drake. <laughs> Wheelchair girls Jimmy. Love Drake. When he was doing his rhymes with Ashley, that's when I love Ooh. Drake. Let me tell you, I she's I like I was first. Pat, you other bitches is late. He got shot. You feel me? <laughs> And like when he started doing mixtapes, because it's my friend, she had gave me my own like TV in a room because I was a grown ass adult watching Degrassi and no one else wanted to watch it. And she was like, yo, I think that dude from Degrassi is doing mixtapes. And I was like, shut the fuck up. And I literally downloaded everyone and just sat there and kept playing and playing and playing. I Wheelchair Jimmy, he, mm -hmm. he did it. Drake, holla at me, bro. Drake. <laughs> <laughs> I went to see Drake perform at SOB's the week that he signed with Cash Money. Oh, wow. Or Young Money, rather. Showing but I, it was that moment. Like, I saw Kanye's first SOB show. Mm. I saw Drake's first SOB show. Awesome. Shit, I saw my first SOB show. <laughs> <laughs> you came outside yourself. was like, you about to be Yeah, I was, yeah I, was, I was at that show, at Drake's SOB show. Oh, because you yeah, were there. I was there. I was definitely there. And it was, it was a moment. Yeah. It was a moment. It really was. Good for him. Mm -hmm. um, you, at one point, went by a pseudonym. Um, Siren Hall. Siren. Siren Hall. Siren. My Caribbean alter ego. Tell me about um, her. So when I first left Toronto and mm -hmm. I started working with Super Dopes, who is an amazing producer from mm -hmm. Black Chinese Sound out of Jamaica, who now produces everything for everyone, mm -hmm. Drake, Rihanna, everybody. Um, 
I started in his crib and mm. we were working on creating a sound for me. And the first thing that came natural to me was the Caribbean infused R&B hip hop right. because that's, that's what background. that's my background. That's mm -hmm. what came natural. And so Siren was like a, this mythical creature in Greek mythology that mm -hmm. used to like call in the ships mm -hmm. with her voice. And so my email at the time was like Symphony Siren. My boy used to call me Symphony and then it became Siren and then it was like boom, boom, boom. You had all the and, singer names. And huh? all the singer names. But then <laughs> word, like the truth is, is that Siren Hall came about because we found out that there was a porn star named Siren. Oh, so and so I was like, her. I can't be mistaken for a porn star. And so then after we put out some music under Siren, um, which all had Caribbean feel, was mm -hmm. on reggae gold, everything was there. That's there, was where a, there was a big record out that came out of that, right? Yeah, Somebody Come Get Me, which yeah. was on reggae gold, yeah. And um, I still perform it in my shows. It's such a, and I did that on YouTube, like as mm -hmm. a, like a quick like backyard freestyle thing. Mm -hmm. And people loved it, and we turned it into this record. And then after, I signed my deal after that, and then it became a matter of like, what was the music that I started to make? And then the music in the representation of that was Caribbean infused with oldies like Sam Cooke mm. and the Platters and this like very like retro mm. style of music. And then it was, well, who are you? Mm. And it was like, oh, well, I am Melanie Fiona. That that's is my I'm. actual name and that's who I'll be till the day I die. And it's a perfect name. It, I mean, thanks, thanks mom. I didn't like it when she used to holler at me at this says, Melanie Fiona, come downstairs right now. And it used to terrify me. <laughs> and uh, at first I was shying away from it, but then I was like, yeah, it's like, who better to be than yourself? Right. Mm -hmm. Do you get to perform in Guyana or the Caribbean often? I have never performed in Guyana. You got to. Guyana, right. holla at me, because I'm yeah, there. I'm, I want to be there. I will say this, because I, you know, me, I've performed in Africa a bunch of times. Mm. But I never received a big payday to perform in Africa. No, no African promoter has been able to really bring me over in the way that the standards that I expect. But for what we do, we can go to Europe all the time. All day. There's, there's nothing. All I day. think with with the Caribbean, I don't get booked in the Caribbean either. Mm. I don't get booked in Africa. I think it becomes on us to go and just make it happen. Mm -hmm. Everything you know? that I've done in the Caribbean has all been related to like a a jazz fest or like an yeah. R and B festival. Um, but I've never actually done a solo show in in the Caribbean or in Guyana. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't been back to Guyana in like 20 years since mm -hmm. I was like a kid. Um, but I've been to Trinidad, I've got family in Trinidad mm -hmm. and I've, I've vacationed to Jamaica on a regular basis. So mm -hmm. like, that's fine. But the, the fun fact that most people might not know is that I've only done one show in Toronto. Wow. In my entire career. One show? One of my own So your own career shows. is built here. Oh yeah. Which is also an indication of the Canadian music industry, mm. um, pre-Drake and post-Drake yeah. and all of it. And it's, it's a very interesting thing because every time I post a show, I mean, I could go to the DMV in the States like 16 times a year and they're going to always come out. Right. And every time I post a show, people in my comments from Toronto, when are you coming home? Mm -hmm. I was like, when y'all call for me. Like, right. I they I mean, like to write when you come in here. I have like, but I have done like, there's been amazing things that have brought me home like um, Manifesto, which is like a, art collective of people that I know that literally brought me home to headline that festival, mm -hmm. which was amazing. But I've only done one of my own shows in Toronto where like it's my name on the bill and that's me. And it's a very interesting thing. It's, a, it's sad, but it's also interesting because I also understand it. Yeah. Um, just basically growing up in that industry. Maybe that's your calling to curate something, hmm. to curate a festival. To you know, got to do it. I mean, there is OVO Festival, but he's already yeah, done he, that. Yeah, you know, he's, a, and he's done a good job with <laughs> he that. He has but. done a good job, but it, it but it is an, it is interesting. There's a thing also up there called Honey Jam, which is where Nelly Furtado was discovered, another mm -hmm. Canadian oh, artist. Baby. There's so many of us. Like you, a bird. That, I mean, <laughs> that record came on in the elevator the other day. And you sang it. No, I would. I was like, yo, this is Nelly's song. <sighs> Nelly. Um, I couldn't remember. couldn't remember. I was like, it's not Nelly from St. Louis. It's oh the other God. Nelly. <laughs> it's not Nelly <laughs> Not Band-Aid under the eye, Nelly. Right. Um, no, yeah. Um, and Honey Jam, which is a really dope collective that's been around for like 25 years, which is where mm -hmm. Nelly Furtado was discovered, mm -hmm. was always trying to promote female artistry in Toronto. Mm -hmm. It's a very, the music industry in Canada is interesting, especially when it comes to black or urban music. But you guys do cross over a lot because um, we have Justin Bieber too, you, oh, have yeah. you Drake, and it's like we Alessia get more Cara. Canadian artists than we do from other places, I feel. 
Canada, t Toronto is sort of different from the rest of Canada. I feel like it is. Toronto is almost like an honorary member of the states. Mm. Like the Toronto experience is very similar to the Black American experience, particularly the East Coast, mm -hmm. particularly New York, yeah. the DMV, yeah, you know, uh, Miami, like the the, the, the Caribbean. Wherever influence. wherever the Caribbeans went, that's like a good representation yeah. of Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you were blessed early on to have a lot of interest from labels, but you were hesitant. Mm. to sign at first, why? Well, there was a few things that was going on when I first started, and that was the, 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 hmm, the struggle to conform. Mm -hmm. And I'm a singer, Whitney Houston is, is the everything for me. Mm. I grew up listening to ballads, that's what I love, that's what I love to sing, R&B and soul music. And I was coming up in a time where R&B was a more of a pop approach, like the, uh, Shanti was big, like Destiny's Child was big, and these like very main big stream acts and like this like rooted R&B mm -hmm. wasn't like this mainstream thing. Like you, ha and I grew up with listening to Monica and Brandy, like that's mm -hmm. Lauryn Hill, like that's, that's what inspired me. And so I wanted to be at a label where I could be all of those things, where I could represent myself in R&B and then also jump on a reggae track and also spit a verse on a hip hop song. Like I wanted to do all of these things. And I feel like the thing that was challenging for me was people saw me and they expected something else. Mm -hmm. And that is a, the plight of a woman in any industry, yeah, I believe, yes. is that we get judged off of our appearance anyways. Right. And so I'll never forget walking into one label and playing It Kills Me for them and singing and then being like, damn, like you could sing. I didn't know Canadians could sing like that. And I was mm -hmm. like, what does this even mean? Right. And then it was like, but you know, I think you sing too well. <laughs> and I was like, what? How's that a thing? How is that a thing? Because did anybody tell Whitney Houston she sang too well? No, they were like, girl, get out there and sing the best that mm -hmm. you can at all times. Mm -hmm. And so I, I left. You know, you have this dream coming from Toronto. You have all these goals of breaking into the American music industry. And then you get there and then you get all this, like, reality. You get all these moments where you walk into an office full of male executives mm -hmm. and the, they're, they're all literally, can we curse on this show? Yes, absolutely. And they're all, Don't curse. And they're, and they're all literally like being like, which one of us is gonna fuck her? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. and this is a thing, you know? And so the reality bites you get in. And so I didn't wanna walk into a space where I felt like that. I wanted to walk into a space where I felt like I could be all the things that I was mm -hmm. coming from Canada, being a young woman of immigrants and, and, and having something to say on on stage and off stage right. and being celebrated for that. And that's how, you know, I met Steve Rifkin. Mm -hmm. And Steve had just started SRC Records and he was really in the space of um, developing female artists at the time. Yeah. And I was like a last minute play that came into that. And, and he also comes from a different place, his, his hip hop background. Right. He was marketing and promoting in a different way. Than, in a different way. Yeah. And you know, I was I was in that, that, uh, that circuit. Mm -hmm. I went in and I knew all the hip hop guys and you jumped on a remix at the beginning and like Busta and like yeah. people. So, give it to me right. With such, it's, it's not, you know, it's not even like a, a hip hop record mm -mm. at all. Like it, it, the timing of it, everything. It's a, it's a rock sample from the zombies. Yeah. The zombies is a great, great, it's a great song. Mm. Um, there was an A&R that asked me to jump on that record. <laughs> um, and I, I wasn't familiar with it, but you were very receptive when I did. And I want to thank you for that. Because it, that that helped me when I jumped on that record. Man, it it was it was an honor, really. Mm -hmm. I was shocked because we had never we hadn't met at the time, mm -hmm. and I just remember being like, "Dang, like these dudes jumping on this record." And so I feel like SRC was such a great platform for me to begin because again, like Steve wasn't like, "You need to do this." Steve was like, "Yo, this it kills me record. I want to hear it thirteen times in the meeting when he took with me." It makes you feel like you can sing. Yeah, stuff. I can yeah. I can sing. Like, oh great, this is a place where I'm celebrated to sing. And so he was like, go make the album you want to make. And that's how I met Andrea Martin, who's a Guyanese songwriter mm -hmm. who wrote for En Vogue, SWV, Monica, all the 90s. I mean, mm -hmm. she's a legendary Guyanese woman in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And that's how I found my sound, because she understood where I was coming from. She understood the Caribbean, cultural, North American experience of oldies mm -hmm. with reggae. And yeah, all those old reggae singers, you know, uh, Gregory Isaac, all them, they're singing soul ballads and classics. I mean, and Bob just, Marley and the Whalers started yeah, that way, just, you know? just adding a little, you know, one drop or a little to exactly. it, and that's it. Exactly. You talked about uh, being the only uh, woman in the building and everyone wanted to fuck you. And um, Cardi B was just talking about how she 
went to uh, try and get on a magazine and they were like, oh, so if you want to get on the magazine, like, you know, pretty much here I am. Like, have you been in a situation like that? And how did you get yourself out of it if you have? I can't say that I've been in that particular example where I felt that direct pressure mm -hmm. to like lose an opportunity because of, or I would lose an opportunity because of it. Thankfully, I had people around me. I had a female manager at the time. Like, there really wasn't any bullshit being tolerated, and I mm -hmm. wasn't put in situations that felt uncomfortable. In fact, one meeting that I remember I walked into, and I remember feeling that weight with her, and we had another uh, woman with us, and we walked in, and within five minutes of that meeting, we walked out, and mm -hmm. she took us out of there. Like, we're not gonna be subje subjected to that. And right. I was thankful to have that bar set for me at a time, but it happens. It really happens. Like, oh, yeah. how many times, like, I don't know. Like I'm a I'm a I'm a guy's girl. I think you know. And so what's that mean? Like I feel the like I, yeah. Like I'm a homie. Like I can hang with I can hang with like dudes. Me. Yeah. Like <laughs> and that's all I know. Like I grew up with a brother who's seven years older than me and all his friends. And so he gave me up really quick about like what guys were about and how to look at that. I grew up playing sports, so I never I never took myself for walking in thinking that my beauty is all I have to offer. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm gonna be cool, we gonna talk about sneakers, we can watch basketball together, it's gonna be all good, I'll be the homie. And so, for me, it's like, anytime I felt like an opportunity or someone was only there for that and thinking that that's all I had to offer, I could remove myself from mm -hmm. that situation. But it happens, you hear about oh, it all yeah. the time, the Me Too movement is founded on this, like this happens all the time and um, it's an unfortunate, ugly truth. Yeah, and uh, I do stand-up comedy, and I'm not gonna speak his name, but one of the uh, like veteran comics, I think I had only been doing comedy for like not even a year. And he was like, oh yeah, I wanna take you on the road with me and da da da. And at first I was like, oh my God, I'm so funny. But then I'm like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've just started doing comedy. You're I'm very still funny, doing Josh. monologues on the you stage. You are funny. And I kept feeling like, oh my God, I missed out on a situation. But then looking back, it's like, Nah, that, no. that was gonna be a gangbang. Bang, and like you, ju you just, you just—I mean, <laughs> okay, I would hope. I would hope. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like in general, it could have—it could have been a trap that I was walking into. Well, like, absolutely. I think that that's the thing is that you know, like some some dudes are just like, yo, that's the homie. We just gonna smoke and kick it. And then some dudes are like, well, you brought your ass here at midnight. Mm -hmm. What'd you think you were coming into? Mm -hmm. And it's like when you are starting out and you're just trying to find a place to be accepted for what it, what it is that you do or what you have to offer from a talent standpoint, you feel like you gotta play a little bit of those games. Like you mm -hmm. gotta show up to the studio session. You gotta like hang out. You gotta stroke a man's ego to make him like listen to you. Right. And it's like. That's a lot of where the Me Too stuff comes from uh, in terms of the balance of power. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the thing that a lot of people have trouble understanding is that women, because as men, we're never put in those situations where saying no could either stop a career or get me hurt Correct. or get me killed. Correct. So that, so it's hard for people to be like, why don't you just say no? Why did she go there? Why did she say yes? Why did she tell nobody? 100%. Yeah. You know, it, it's a, like I said, it's an ugly, unfortunate truth. It happens. It happens all the time. But I think that what's happening now with the fact that women are being outspoken and they are name dropping and they are being like, no, you're not gonna hide behind this anymore. Mm -hmm. That I think that it makes men have to think twice, of course, about being oh, like, yeah. ooh, like, mm -hmm. let me not find myself in the middle of a, of a, of a tweet right yeah, now. Yeah, with social upheaval and, and cultural movements like Me Too, mm -hmm. there's a lot of valid criticism of some of, the, some of the aspects of the Me Too movement, but one that's not um, is that somehow it's going to make life harder for men, mm. we'll be fine. Y'all will be fine you know? forever. And, <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, is that, yeah, there's going to be some people, there's going to be a small select few that maybe got blamed for some shit they didn't do. They didn't do. It didn't look like, it, it, it didn't go down like that, but that's what happens in social upheaval. There's casualties. It, it, it happens. And you can just, like I said, you can just hope for that, it, it just it starts to incite change and it's right. like okay yeah. we just got to think we got to think twice you know what I mean like it's not gonna it's not gonna change overnight like there still has to be a generation that has to literally die off the planet right. for this patriarchial it's still, mm -hmm. yes the mindset and of, best of dominance they teach and authority their sons before and their daughters before they leave I mean before you, they die off it has it has to it has to get worse before it gets better almost mm -hmm. and, the, and th this is what this is what we're seeing is happening you know and just as a woman in the industry and don't even get me started as as also what happens in the discriminatory field of becoming oh. a mother in the music industry or in any industry and how that is still a thing. Now, Miss Hill, 
is someone who mm. is one of your favorites, if not your favorite. Mm -hmm. She was a friend of mine coming up. She's one of my favorites. I wrote an essay called In Defense of Miss Hill mm. to sort of speak on how I felt like the industry has taken advantage of her. I love seeing Drake uh, do what he did with her song Samples, with the nice, yep. the nice for What. Lauren Hill removed herself from the industry to be a mother. Mm. Um, you dealt with some issues that were similar when you were dealing with motherhood for the first time. Yeah. I've heard stories of you feeling like you couldn't share that with the industry. No. I and and you know, it it was it, it is a crazy thing because that narrative is embedded in your mind mm -hmm. that like a baby equals career suicide mm. in music. And in any career, really. in any career, really, you know, but in music, especially because you're supposed to be desired mm -hmm. and you're supposed to be fit and mm -hmm. you're supposed to be available at any given moment to be mm -hmm. on stage and to be a video. And yeah, to be I don't hot. have to go through. Any no, y'all don't have to be worried about any of that. Mm -hmm. And like, in fact, men get to walk outside. I could be sloppy as fuck. Yeah, y'all don't like looking no pregnant, looking pregnant, looking pregnant. Like nobody needs to know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows how many children. Nobody knows if you have a baby on the way, if you got a wife, if you like. Like nobody Not, no one knows Father's cares. Day comes along, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm the best father, father in, in the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know it's true. And like, and Zion, and Zion, when Lauren did Zion, you know. I was a young girl, not even thinking. I just had like dreams of being a musician, dreams of being in in music and and having a career in music, and feeling inspired by her and understanding what that is like that for unsure of what the balance held i touched my belly overwhelmed mm. like she was she was really expressing what that is and she was doing it in her music on her albums and being celebrated for it the truth the vulnerability of that mm. i had to go against everything that they were telling me not to do for this life that i know mm. chose me and that's really what it is like i got to a point in my career where i was like Oh my gosh, I just put out two singles. I had just signed a new record deal. I was like, okay. And I remember I was terrified, terrified. I'm not, I wasn't 21 when I got pregnant. Like I was a grown up. I had already won Grammys and had two albums mm -hmm. and toured and had an established career and was still terrified as a human being and especially as a woman in the industry. So it's a very isolating situation. I hid my pregnancy for almost six months, wow. you know, trying to figure out what to wear to not, you know, out myself before I was ready. I shot a video to release um, attached to a song called I Want It All. And I really had to to own what that was and really just, like if I look back and I said this, I did an Instagram post about it because I did a podcast recently with like on a motherhood platform. Mm -hmm. And it was like, there's only one thing that I regret and that's not being more um, unapologetic about that in the mm. beginning mm. of owning it and allowing fear and like that narrative to to make me feel insecure you know i feel like it was for a reason though because now you can tell that story in that way absolutely yeah. absolutely and then you see these stories happening with beyonce and with cardi, cardi b, b and like young miami i will never forget being on tour and i remember i was in a room full of men and cardi had just bubbling and like bodak yellow just like blew up and there was all these men in the room giving their opinion about how it would be career suicide if she actually was pregnant. Oh, um, she just, oh, she just fucked herself if she's pregnant. And I just remember being like. That's super ignorant. What? I was yeah. like, first of all, none of you have the, uh, the right to be talking about her right now. Okay, none of like, you get pregnant. None of you guys. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what are we talking about? And I'm sitting here being like, nobody's gonna celebrate the fact that she's literally a Cinderella story. Mm -hmm. Nobody's yeah. celebrating the fact that like, she's living her wildest, most unimaginable dreams right now to have everything she's probably ever wanted in her life. Right. And if this is where it ends for her, which it doesn't, like how amazing, like why That's would we right. Why would we say this is a downfall? That's right. And so, you know, I'm very passionate about that. I'm very passionate about the narrative of normalizing and making sure that we are honoring women in all spaces yeah. who choose to become mothers. Like it's very, very important. There was a uh, article that I read, I don't know where, and I don't know if it was from Facebook, so we're not sure if it's real or not. <laughs> but <laughs> it said that women need a whole year taken off in order to, you know, a, a year maternity leave in order to like really give that baby uh, the things that they need. And it's just like, even when you take it to corporate America and stuff like that, like women that are CEOs or whatever, they're losing their jobs and or having to rush back to work barely, you know, with milk still leaking out of their boobs. Girl. Yeah, the maternity leave, maternity leave situation in this country is 
fucking horrible. Oh, yeah. I don't know the actual statistics to compare to other countries. So if, Canada yeah. gives you a year. Yeah, mm. we, as we, a woman, we do a terrible job. You get a year maternity leave as a working as a working mother, and if you choose to go back to work before that, you can transfer that maternity over to the partner, and they get paternity. Oh as well. wow! Yes. So like, this is. This is very, very important. Like, I couldn't imagine, I could not imagine having to leave my son if I were corporate at six weeks. At and six and go back to work. At mm. six weeks, I put out a video on my YouTube channel where I talked about the, um, the shift and like what my birthing and like mental and emotional experience was going through all of that. And I was just at six weeks coming out of the, all right, I'm ready to tell the truth right mm. now. And you mean to tell me there are women at six weeks that got to drop that baby off at daycare mm. and go back to work? Like, no. Like, the, the bond between mother and child and the honor of motherhood needs 100% to be more at the forefront of what we're fighting for these days, 100%. One of my favorite Miss Hill moments is, is during Dave Chappelle's block party when people in the crowd are like, where you been, where you been, where you been? And she's like, where I been? And she points at her babies and she says, that's what I've been. Mm. That's where I've been. That's what I've been doing. Mm. She's definitely unapologetic. No, that yeah. that MTV Unplugged album was so amazing, and everybody wanted it to be the miseducation of Lauryn Hill. It wasn't. It was unplugged. It was her singing at the raspiest part of her voice, and her interludes in speaking was saying, I'm sorry, y'all. My voice just doesn't show up sometimes. You want to know why? Because I'm up till 3 o'clock in the morning with a sick kid. Yeah. Because I am a human being, and I am a mother, and I can do it all, but I'm human. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes my voice gets tired. And sometimes this is just what real life looks like. And again, just I, I just identify with her and I, I like really admire Lauren Hill for all of her all of her fight that she's been through, even to this day, to fight for what she feels is her truth and to live in it. Cause that's something most people are scared to do. And she just does it. I mean, she's just one of the greatest to ever do it. Now your songs and by the way, your music is beautiful. So powerful. Thank you guys. Um, you're known your your big your biggest records. Mm -hmm. It kills me in records like this. Deal specifically with loss, with love, with how niggas be fucking up <laughs> at four a.m. <laughs> at four a.m. That's a great record right there. Um, being on the wrong side of a love, love song. song. Um, this is firmly in, in the tradition of that soul music mm -hmm. that you were raised on. For who's doing that for you now? What you did for me with It Kills Me. Or what you did for so many people. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, did she, was she what she did right there? <laughs> that record that record has a, there's a visceral reaction, an emotional reaction that people have to that song. That song, that song literally, I mean, changed my life. Mm -hmm. And it, I realized it's important so much because what I knew in that moment in going out there and singing this record was this was a story that many people felt and lived or didn't know how to say. Like, mm -hmm. where was the song? Like, you know, when Lauryn Hill came out with X Factor, like, mm -hmm. you know, it could all be so simple, mm -hmm. but you'd rather make but it hard. Damn, I've been there. Hard. Like, Why? God, you know? And so, like, right. it's so much I wanna, ooh, ooh, like, I can't even find the words right now. And so, you know, that's when I really knew that it was important to always speak truth and vulnerability mm -hmm. in music. Mm -hmm. That's what I love. Like, Whitney Houston was singing about being a side chick. Yeah. Okay, a few stolen moments is all that we shared. A few stolen moments. You are not a full-time chick. That's right. Number one record. That's right. But we all felt it, even mm -hmm. if you didn't live that. You felt that. You never that's been a side and, chick. That's that me and Mrs. Jones. That's all <laughs> exactly. that. It's the same tradition. Yeah. And I just feel like there is, some, there is that, em, that emotional connection that music does. Because I'm not a sad, downtrodden, broken woman in my life. That was but my I next will, question. But I will sing the shit out of a sad, heartbroken so you record. Don't have to be a but, right. but I draw from my strength comes from vulnerability. Mm. My strength comes from sad. Like my saddest moments, I'm a cancer. I'm emotional as all hell. I'm sensitive. I'm an empath. I feel everything. Like I can write a sad song in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. um, give me something to feel charged about, angry, upset. It like, you know, give me something. That feeling has to be there. As much as I love love, like the beautiful side of love, mm -hmm. and I can honestly say that I'm thankful to have beautiful love in my life, that there's just something about a good ass sad record, like mm -hmm. where you can really feel like you could just get in your feelings for a second, mm -hmm. you know? And so I always feel connected to that um, when I hear music and like 
and vulnerability. Like even if you think about a beautiful love song like Daniel Caesar and Her, like Best Part, mm -hmm. mm. that song mm -hmm. will make my heart start to tremble just yeah. because there's such a sincerity and a vulnerability there that's a tenderness that we don't often celebrate mm -hmm. like in mainstream music, like especially in urban music sometimes, it's just all about like, Oh, like how many hoes can I get? How many bitches? Mm -hmm. How many, you know? And it's nice when you get to hear a love song. And then like, even back to like the song I did with CeeLo, mm -hmm. with Fool For You. That's, we won a Grammy for that. We won Grammys for that. Grammys, right. and And that song actually became a number one record <laughs> with right. no push. That's that Robert Glasper. Right. Uh, multiple uh, Grammys. Uh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> right, we gonna baby. add an S on that. Uh, <laughs> multiple. Uh, but no, you know, and, and I think that that's the beauty of like vulnerability to music and that, even in a happy love song like that, like mm -hmm. Fool For You, the, the singing of love, the vulnerability of it, it had a life of its own because people love that. People mm -hmm. want to feel that. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm thankful to to have a career for that. Like, I love when I see people and they come up to me and be like, girl, you sing my life. And right. I'm like, yes. You That's know, like car music driving by yeah. yourself and you just belting Late it out. Like, I am Melanie. Sing <laughs> right. at the top of your lungs. And that's just something that I grew up seeing and... I'm very proud to say that I can do. And whether that's what I choose to do for the rest of my life, like shit, I might make a hip hop album and rap. Like mm -hmm. who knows? I might make a reggae album just cause that's what it, the life of an artist allows you to be. But you know, I'm thankful that the foundation of my career is built off of people feeling connected emotionally and having respect for, right. for what it is that I've contributed. And that's like just the greatest reward. Now you and me have done one of my favorite records that was on my Prisoner of Conscious album, The Ready, Set, Go. Ready, set. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for having me. You sound very good. Not a lot of people can do like sad love ballads and then also do hip hop jams. You work with me, you work with Wale. Mm. There's a story about you playing your music for Jay-Z and Tata. Yeah. And that's how you got uh, signed and managed by Rock Nation. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, just, you know, I, I had known Jay Brown mm -hmm. um, prior and then Rock Nation had just started being having a company and I went in there and I played a few of the records that I had done and I played ballads to like a song called Ayo and songs that had a hip hop feel and a reggae feel and they just, they got it, they understood it. These are New York cats, they understood it. And um, again, much like a Steve Rifkin, it was just nice to have that welcoming approach to being like, yeah, like we fucks with this, like this is mm -hmm. this is dope. To be celebrated for like just what you authentically want to do is, is just great. And like hip hop is just a huge, a huge thing for me. Like I said, I have an older brother, so having an older brother that was in high school when I was in elementary school and then in college when I was in high school, he used to put me on to mm -hmm. all the stuff. And so, you know, we used to, we used to radio, man, in Toronto, we didn't have an urban radio station growing up. We didn't have hip hop. Oh, we had wow. like, the, no, we had the college radio station 105.5. And that's how we used to get our local hip hop mm -hmm. and hear people like Cardi and hear mm -hmm. people like Maestro Fest West. And then, um, and then like, WBLK in Buffalo, 93.7. Mm. Like our radio station, if you like anchored your antenna like right. real close in the right direction, didn't stand buffalo. in the way, you get that Buffalo hip hop. And that was our only. We used to have to do that for Stretch and Barbito. What, what type of music do they. <laughs> you remember that, right, Jerry? Yeah. <laughs> Showing your age again. <laughs> <laughs> what type of music do they play in the can um, Canadian? Can can what is it? In the Canadian. Canadian. In the Canadian music Canadian scene? Music, I mean, it was, yeah. it was rock, it was pop, it was. You know, it, that's what it was. It, it was, was Rush. It was Main Street. It was Rush. <laughs> showing my age, showing knowing it. You know, it was it was main, it was mainstream pop, and that's that's what you were given. Like much music, that's what you were given. So when you had hip hop artists coming up, it was like, oh, cool. Like this is this is dope, and I didn't know we could have that. Shout out to Chuck Claire. Chuck Claire, Figure Four. Figure Four. Rascals. You know, these these were people that really created marks in the in and footprints for us in the urban music space and the hip hop mm -hmm. space. So I just was always a hip hop kid. Mm -hmm. Like I I love hip hop culture and then, you know, discovering people like Biggie, mm -hmm. like Jay, um, of course Lauren Hill being like a triple threat and like just seeing what hip hop was becoming and growing up in that time. It was beautiful, and then BET came, and then it was like the whole. It was like an explosion. Man, mm -hmm. 106 in Park needs to come back, baby. It was just new. 106 in Park, they, and they need something new. Something, but they, they don't have anything. I mean, at least uh, maybe. I mean, nobody watches TV though. But people watch YouTube. They watch videos on YouTube. Up rock. Someone needs to do, a, do that in an independent space, like on a YouTube, their own like 
digital 2020 version of what Revolt, 106 is. Revolt is trying to do They're this. They're trying right? to do that. I just don't know. Like, it's interesting. It's like, as much as I, I don't know, I find that like people just are so quick to be like, oh, next. it's next. Like, oh, I say that. Now I'm over it. And that's like I. Yeah, I don't, they don't value art. No. People don't art. Art. The art has. You know what has more value than any song that you and me make? Us sitting here talking, which 100. I I value that. But it's 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 a referendum on what people value. But right? it's because people could do multiple things while they're listening to you. Talk. Yeah, they have too much things to pay attention to. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. too much content. There is so much content, and that's why, like I was saying this earlier, it's a it's a beautiful time to be in music and to be in entertainment because the rules are there are no rules mm -hmm. so like yeah. if you, whatever your sound is like right. once upon a time it had to fit this box and this right. genre that had to be on a you know on a playlist on radio that was only you know 10 to 15 mm -hmm. records and now it's like you get on a spotify playlist you get right. on a streaming service make playlist you make your own playlist that's um, why you're doing covers often like Khaled or I mean like Kendrick. It, it it's a it's a it's a format I mean I've always been doing that though but mm -hmm. like cuz just cuz like I remember when Instagram kind of first was popping and I was in New York and I remember started from the bottom came out mm -hmm. and like bad by Wale and then like this I remember making the beat in my apartment. I made the beat, I rapped it, I sang it, I did the whole thing and put it up a cappella. and these things like blew up. Mm -hmm. And now this is like second nature. Everyone does this shit mm -hmm. on Instagram now. Like it's like, and I remember hours at my computer and I had people reach out, be like, what are you using? I'm like, GarageBand. Like right. just feeling creative in that space. But now there's so many platforms to be creative and for people to express their creativity. So if you do um, salsa infused, hip-hop there's an audience that's gonna love that mm -hmm. whether that's mass appeal or or your you know genre appeal you can find an audience which I think is kind right. of beautiful you know the awareness is there but it is a lot of content it's it's always there's always something to discover always something that's to why find. I get mad at people who be like yo there's nothing out I'm like you I had to get on a train to a bus mm. to walk down the street mm. in the winter to go buy a white label mm. You might not even know what's going on. You might get the shit home and it'd be the wrong song. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like now you could just, now if I hear a song in the air, like if I hear that Nelly Furtado song, I could Shazam. just take it. Yeah, I was boom. just about to say It's just in the air, air. I could just take it. And, and people I think are spoiled by their access mm. to, you know, all this, all this content. And as artists, it's not even their fault. No. It's all, it's, 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 and does it, people confuse fault and blame and responsibility. It's not our fault either. But it's our responsibility. The onus is on us as artists to acknowledge where the fans are, who are who are being victimized by consumer culture, mm. and meet them where they at. Mm. To be like, okay, y'all y'all listen to Spotify now. Okay, well either I have to put my shit on Spotify, or I I gotta be so goddamn popping that you put your phone away for a second mm -hmm. and come fuck with me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. The onus is completely completely on us. But now we're doing the job of the publicist. We're doing the job Oof. of the manager. Okay, we're doing the, the job of the record label distributor. Every every new artist that you have that you've heard of is because he's doing a lot more than just being an artist. Just being an artist. How how does that weigh on your your spirit to have to do all that? It's exhausting. Mm. It's exhausting. Mm. And I'm a mom. Mm. Like what like what are we talking about? It, it's 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 kind of great. I will say this for for two things. It's exhausting, but it's also a beautiful freedom to live and die by your own sword. Mm -hmm. Because too often we have, we have been in, you, I'm sure you've been in situations where you've entrusted people with your career mm -hmm. and your art and your craft, and they don't have the same vision for you, or they don't have the same intention or the mm -hmm. same love or the same care or concern, and they treat it like a product and they don't take care of it yeah. the way that you would love to. And then it's like, damn, like they, they did that, but I could have just done it myself, you know? Right. But we don't wanna have to. You know, and I think that recently what I've been learning is, is like you can pay anybody to do a job. Most times they'll probably do it mediocre anyways because excellence is, is a rarity. But you can never pay somebody to care like you care. Oh, yeah. And so that's, so that's why you have to be, you have to be willing to steer your own ship at certain points. You know, I feel like that's the place that I'm at right now. And I feel like what's happening for me is by clearing some space out and not being so dependent on the resources that I think are out there for me, it's forcing me to see how resourceful I am. Mm -hmm. And it's forcing me to expand my, my wings and look at my entire wingspan and be like, right. what are you capable of? Like, right. I know you from listening to records and us collaborating on music, but now we're sitting here talking about life and right. we're on a show and you know? Right. And so the pivot 
is beautiful to be able to do that. Some people get so stuck because people only see them as one thing. Right. And so it is a it is a gift to be able to look at yourself also and kind of self-manage at a point and be like, what is it that I want to do? If nobody has any any input, what is it that I want to do with my life? And so that's why it always has to come back to what puts fire in your belly, what makes you feel happy. Um, and that goes for the people that are going to be around you as well. Right. Like I'm just at the point right now where I don't have time to have Protect anybody around me at 100% at right. all costs. So we talk about a lot about self-care on this show. And uh, what are the things that you do for like your self-care pro process to make sure that you're good? Uh, first thing for me, I think, is just intuition. I mean, I mean, I think everybody has intuition. I think women are much more gifted than it than, oh, yeah. gifted in it than men. We know it. But I the agree. first the first thing that I that I do now these days is I just don't ignore my intuition at mm. all. Like the vibe don't lie. Energy doesn't lie. Vibes Energy do is not lie. It does not. Shout out to Chaz Mir. It does not lie. And so the one thing that I will not do anymore is ignore my intuition when something just doesn't feel right. Right. And it's just like, well, that don't feel right. Protect your energy at all costs. One of the scariest prospects as an artist is losing your voice. Mm. I lost my voice early in my career. I was, um, when I first got on the road and was on the road every day, I was, you know, shouting into the mics because I wasn't dealing with good sound men, good sound mm. people, and I couldn't hear myself on stage. And you, you, you assume that if you can't hear it, no one can hear mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. And you start yelling, and I'm losing my voice every night. Mm -hmm. I went to see a doctor, and it wasn't a holistic situation for me. It wasn't organic. The doctor was 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 good enough, and you know they 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 knew what it was. But that was very scary for me. Um, you lost your voice recently, and mm -hmm. you and I talked about this a little bit. And you said it was from chakra blockage. Yes. Can you break that down wow. for people who may not understand? So. We are energy. Everything is energy, and there's good energy, there's bad energy, there's high energy, there's low energy. Just we, we all experience it in different ways. Mm -hmm. From a spiritual standpoint, energy that you carry in your body can serve you well and serve you not well. And in 2012, I had been in a very transitional time of my life, mm -hmm. personally and professionally. It was filled with many highs and many lows, which is a very confusing thing, I think, for anybody. Mm -hmm. But at the height of my success, we had just won the Grammys. Everything was great. I'd put out the MF Life. Everything was wonderful. And I was also going through like a very um, ugly breakup in a personal mm -hmm. in a personal life, in my personal life. And and this was devastating to me. But I also felt like things also in my career were shifting at that time. So after winning these Grammys and then like having great success, now the record label that I'm on is shifting and like I don't know if I'm gonna stay there, if I'm mm -hmm. gonna go and like what's happening and all these things are just in limbo. And this was really the beginning I think of my wellness journey and my, my self care routine mm -hmm. because I'd probably say six months Six months into 2012, I had just relocated to New York, and I started having problems with my voice singing. Mm -hmm. And like, as a big ballad singer, mm -hmm. your voice gotta show up. You gotta show up. Cause right. nobody else is gonna sing those for you, not your background vocalists. Mm -hmm. Nobody is singing that for you. You, They came to hear you There's no sing. movie magic, no stage nope. tricks. I have n and I have never, like on, on God, like I have never lip synced in mm -hmm. my life. And I just don't, I don't know how to do that. Right. It's just, it's gotta be all there. It's pretty easy. <laughs> I mean, there are some people who can give tutorials in it, right. I'm sure. But I didn't Girl, you know it's, girl, Ooh. you know it's. Win some can Grammys for it too. Real Ooh. music behind Ooh. your lip syncing. I love, I love you. you. Um, <laughs> but, but the truth is, is that like, once that started to happen, I remember being like, damn, like, what is this? What's going on? And so I went to all these doctors mm -hmm. and, um, they were like, you know, ENT, and they all checked. I was like, I've got like, I've got to have nodules on my vocal cords. Something's got to be going had. on. Yeah, it mm -hmm. happens. I, I've had nodules before, but they looked, and nobody was finding anything. And by the third doctor that I saw, he asked me. He said, "What kind of a year have you had?" And I paused, like, this oh. is odd. Like a human you element. Spiritual coming. now. Yeah, I was like, ah. and I was like, well, to be honest, I've. I've had a terrible year. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've had a really amazing year and then a really heavy year. And he's told me a story about a man that he was treating who had this like, <clears throat> this constant cough for like six years. And he was treating this man, this cough was not going away and he didn't understand what was going on. And he just said, he asked him one day, like, what's going on? Like, you know, can you tell me a little bit about your life? Like, 
not just treating him like, well, we'll just check and Holistic. give you medication. And he found out that the man had lost his wife and his daughter in a car accident. Oh, no. And so there was this feeling that's choked up, uh, this tension. And so my doctor in New York, shout out to Dr. Primus, Dr. Ronald Primus. I, he, I call him the hip hop doctor because when I went in there, his phone rang and it was DOS FX <laughs> that came on. They and like, I was like, thanks, thanks, <laughs> Exactly, right? <laughs> so he was like, I would like to send you for Eastern medicine. Mm. And that in conjunction with somebody in my life at the time as a part of my management team, my um, amazing man named Michael Michelle, is very faith-based. Mm -hmm. He asked me, he said, what is your relationship with God mm -hmm. like? And I had never really been asked that question. Like I grew up, you know, religious as it comes. I went to Catholic school. My dad is Muslim, but like I grew up in a, in a splintered home as far mm -hmm. as religion. I had ideas of world religion, but I had never thought about like really spirituality. And so that doctor had said to me, I want you to go for energy healing and acupuncture. And he was like, I'd like for you to try it. And at this point I've been like, I'll try anything because I right. can't get through singing 30 minutes. And I went for Reiki, which is, an, is a form mm -hmm. of Eastern medicine and energy healing. Don't touch. Don't touch. <laughs> Don't touch. Um, and I was able to have relief after three mm. sessions of acupuncture. Wow. And I cried and I had a physical reaction on this table. And this is what really opened me up to be like, are you aware of what you are holding? Mm. Are you aware of the trauma and the pain that you're carrying it and how you recognize that if you don't make a mindset shift of what's happening in your life, if you don't focus on gratitude in all that's happening, in the good and the bad, in the highs and the lows, mm -hmm. if you can't find your peace, if you can't find what that center is for yourself, you will get lost. And I yeah. found that the universe had to attack my gifting wow, to for get me you to, to get me to understand what that was. Mm -hmm. And it was the wake up call that I needed, which really put me on the path of recognizing when people and relationships were toxic, when mm -hmm. situations and everything, I mean, from food to everything. Um, and that's really where the wellness journey began for me. And so, you know, my voice is my, is my gifting, whether I'm using that to speak, to share, to sing, to write, to converse, to be here, mm -hmm. like that is, that's what's important. And I find that anytime something's going on with me, my, my, I feel a little closed if I'm right. having a block in communication. Um, so uh, during my shows, when I do the blast, um, I play uh, Yasin Bey's Umi Says, mm. and then we do like a mix of Umi Says into the blast. And while we're doing that, because Umi Says, is, my, my Umi Says, shine your light. And I'm like, shine your light, hold up your lighters. They hold up lighters. I'm like, if you don't got a lighter, hold up your cell phone. Right. If you don't got a cell phone, let me see your inner heart chakra. Boom. You know the Care Bear stare? The Care Bear countdown. Right. <laughs> yeah. I said, do your Care Bear stare. Do your Care Bear stare. That's Again, your I was heart like, chakra. I, I was like, are we dating? It really is. Yeah. It really is your heart chakra. Like, Care Bears was very important. Shout out to the Care Bears. But that Shout was out to so the Care Bears. Back, like, far, like, but most cartoons back in the days had hidden meeting. I don't know about now, but. What about Jim? Jim is excited. Ooh, Jim. Okay. Jim and the holograms? Jim and the motherfucking holograms, holograms nigga. I don't and She-Ra? I'm sorry. Oh, She-Ra, Princess yeah. of Power? This Come is on. where I'm happy that I'm the youngest here. Oh, I don't gosh. know that one yet. Yeah. <laughs> the 80s was now a I'm good Now I'm going to go look it up. I'm going to go YouTube I'm an 80s baby. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, it, it, it is. And I, and I feel like these messages are here for us always. Mm -hmm. Like, these... These, this is not new. It's mm -hmm. just, are you paying attention? Mm -hmm. Right. Are you paying attention? Like we always say, oh, what a coincidence. There's no coincidences in life. Right. Like, wow. No such thing. There's no such thing. Like everything is happening with purpose. And if you are able to really just tap in and pay attention that that thing that you keep seeing and that thing <laughs> that you keep hearing keeps popping up, not just because it's coincidence and you showed right. up at the same time every day. It's there because there's something there for it's you to needed. learn. Now, speaking of the faith and dealing with, with it in music and coming to those realizations, mm -hmm. um, Kanye West, who we both work with, mm -hmm. um, has, has a new album called Jesus is King. Okay. I've had very intense spiritual conversations with Kanye years ago mm -hmm. um, before he arrived at his Jesus moment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jesus for me was a great album. Mm -hmm. um, but Kanye is now in this space where he said, he just made an announcement where he said, I'm not doing secular music anymore. Um, I don't know what that means, but 
<laughs> what I do know is you went on a glow-in-the-dark tour. I did. So I want to know if you have any fantastic glow-in-the-dark stories that you could share for I do. You know, it's interesting. Kanye West is such an interesting talking point because um, his, his, his insane genius yeah. has always been there. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the glow-in-the-dark tour, like that was my first touring experience. Mm -hmm. um, before I even had an album out, I was invited on that tour, and I was on a hip-hop tour. It was We did some dates with The Roots. Wale was on that tour. Mr. Hudson was on that tour. Mm -hmm. Kid Cudi was on that tour, and I was the only R&B artist on that tour. And Kanye West, like, straight up, is just one of my favorite artists of all time. Yeah, for a um, lot of us. For a, for a lot of us. I mean, mm -hmm. his, he musically, he's just given us so much. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was. it was a great honor to be a part of that. I was a true fan, and watching him night after night, that genius... Um, mentality of like oh no like I know what I'm seeing for myself and I'm going to make sure that it gets delivered that way mm -hmm. was there I remember him starting um uh the I'm not loving you way I wanted to 808s and heartbreak is the love lockdown yeah. Yeah. this is when he was just getting ready to release because after glow in the dark was 808s and heartbreak right and he was transitioning into that sound and he was featuring right. love lockdown at the end of every show and he debuted that song from what I understand on SNL like the week he made it Maybe. Yeah, that think, sounds like a Kanye thing yeah, to I do. think he just made it, and then he was like, yo, I, this is the one I'm performing on SNL. And then what I heard was, there was no 808s in Heartbreak album. Mm. He debuted that song on SNL. He enjoyed the response he got from mm. it. And he said, I'm going to do a whole album like this. Mm. Well, he did that song, mm -hmm. and I just remember one night, he was starting it, and like he didn't catch the beat right away, mm -hmm. and like something wasn't working right, so he started. Like, he he must have started it like six times. Yeah, that was the tour where he was like cursing out all the light men and stuff. And right? it was he was it was like <laughs> he, he created like a spaceship and like an alien, yeah. like it was like a whole thing. And I just remember the first thing when I first met Kanye, the first thing that he said to me was "nice shoes," because <laughs> I was wearing these Christian Louboutin right. like girl. Your feet. The, it took. It had nine straps. It was Take six. It was six baby. inches tall, and it needed three people to put on every night of tour. Mm -mm. Now, mind you, I'm but you a, look good. I look good you though. Did, and that's that's not old Billy Crystal. I looked good, and I still have those shoes. I will never you wear them marvelous. again. Listen. You take an ibuprofen right before the night starts, and that's, then you're that's ridiculous. I'll never that's do that terrible. again. That was a that was a young girl decision. Mm -hmm. Like as a as a veteran in heels now, I will wear sneakers. What size, <laughs> that's, shoe, what size eight, do you wear? Eight. Oh man, I'm in an eight and a half nine. I was about to squeeze my little feet. <laughs> no, shoot, but I'll tell you, the first thing he noticed was was nice shoes. He mm -hmm. said nice shoes. And I was like, this is a very Kanye West thing to do because he was into fashion. He's always been into fashion. Mm -hmm. And I remember he watched my show one night. He came by and he watched, finally watched it side stage. And he came out and he was just like, yo, you're really dope live. And that was a huge compliment. Because I think one thing that I do pride myself on is not being scared on stage. Mm -hmm. People see me and they think, oh, she sings love songs, but I'm ugly on stage. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to leave it all out there, mm -hmm. which I love. And I want people to have an experience because I sing from that place. But the thing that he said to me, which has rung so true to who Kanye West has shown himself to be, is he says, never be afraid to do what it takes to have people remember you. Oh, mm -hmm. man. And he said that to me, and I have it on video. I think it's on my YouTube channel, actually. He's like, never be afraid to give something people to remember you. And I remember being like, you have done that your entire career. Word. He has. And that's authentic Kanye. And like, and I, and I remember that. And I always, the thing that I always, like I said, pride myself on is the element of surprise. And I'll never forget, I have a story with Prince where I was doing, uh, Deborah Lee used to do a, a pre-dinner every year for the BET Awards. I DJed that party. Were you there that year? I did, pre yeah, Prince was there. Prince was there, Janelle, and I yep. performed that year. I, I got a story about that party. And oh, my friend dances for Janelle. Oh, I love I love Jane. Janelle's great. She's great, and so. Prince came up to me and he was like, I was playing um, whatever hot hip hop record was like, and Prince came up to me, I swear to God, he said, I did not put on this outfit to be cursed at all night by rappers. <laughs> And so then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play Shaka Khan records, right? Because Prince loves Shaka Khan. <laughs> so I play like I feel for you, and I'm playing it as a DJ. I'm mixing in the mix. I think the record was like a certain beat. It was like a hundred. I played at a hundred or two to mix it. He comes up to me. He was like, it doesn't go like that. Oh my! You're playing it too fast. <laughs> and what did you say? I was like, yes, no. sir. Yes, sir. Play <laughs> right. What do you want? Whatever you right, want. Right, exactly. But the purple one. Yes. Yeah, so I remember they put me at the table because of the performance that mm. performers that year were sitting at the head table. Mm. And I remember I sat down and there were these two seats ahead of like right across from me. And uh, you know, everyone had already been seated. It was like, who's gonna sit here? Mm. And then Prince floated in. Mm. Uh, of course he, he did. Just he just levitated float. inside yeah. and sat right across from me. And I promise you, 
I've been around many famous people. As mm -hmm. for sure, worst when you know when you're coming up, you just meet people. Mm -hmm. I have never felt more nervous of mm -hmm. course, in my friends. life. And I remember, and I don't get nervous before I perform. And then they were like, okay, Melanie, you gotta go backstage to perform. And I was like, Prince is he's out there. Right. Like, what? And I remember just thinking, and I don't even think I did that great that night. Like I was, I probably mm -hmm. was so nervous that I wasn't my best. But when I got back to the table, he stood up, reached across the table, shook my hand, and he said, I had no idea. Oh, mm. that's amazing. And I cherish that moment. Mm. You because should. he will come up he will come up to you and tell you your BPMs are off. That's right. So he didn't have a Virgo. He did not That's <laughs> right. The Virgos don't miss they anything. They do not play. That's right. But he 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 said that and I cherish that because if he was really like I'm not fucking with you, he would just been like Right. Peter just no, he like, told I me. don't see you across the table. Chris <laughs> told me man. which songs of mine he liked. He told me which songs of mine he didn't like. Uh -huh. I told him, Jared, you'll find this hilarious. I said, Prince, you should do a song with me. He said, ain't you signed a Warner Brothers? Oh, Ooh. shit. He was like, let me know when you get off a of Warner Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Again, <laughs> protecting your energy at all times. That's Since right. Virgos don't play. Um, it's been an honor and a pleasure talking to you. I want to ask really you nice. one more thing. Yeah. Um, you work with an organization called Hope on Wheels. Oh, which was about kids with cancer. This is so crazy. This was the Instagram post I was just drafting. When really? I was like, oh, say wow. draft. Well then tell us about it. So in 2015, I was the ambassador for um, Hyundai's Hope on Wheels, which mm -hmm. is an organization that is dedicated to supporting cancer research for pediatric mm -hmm. cancer. The beautiful thing about pediatric cancer, as devastating as it is, is that eight out of 10 cases mm -hmm. can be cured, mm -hmm. which is beautiful. But every 36 minutes, there is a diagnosed case in this country. Mm. And I got to visit hospitals and we, Backstory: When I was a little girl, I used to say I wanted to be a singing nurse. Mm. And, a singing nurse. Uh huh. And that's what I really do feel like I've. I am Not like a telegram. No, no. But no, I singing at the hospital. <laughs> but I know what a nurse. No. I just. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know it's a serious moment. <laughs> We're talking about pediatric cancer. I just flashed to uh, Ferris Bueller's Day, Day off, off with the singing nurse <laughs> no. showing up at the door. No, no, I was like, no, like, no. That's no. what you want to do? No. Okay. Keep so, going. but you know, in that space of healing and voice, I think that that's what my four-year-old self was trying to get at. Okay. But in visiting these hospitals, I definitely got to see these children that just have infinite mm -hmm. optimism mm -hmm. in in the hardest times of their lives when their childhood is being threatened, like their 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 ability to live to see adulthood, and. This organization has just been wonderful. Um, I've gotten to meet so many amazing people. I've had such great opportunities, and they're just doing great work. They, this year, they're making $160 million in their lifetime of, of funded money mm. in, in the efforts of pediatric cancer. Wow. So it's really wonderful. Now being a mom, this cause is actually very important to me, even more so. Um, but, you know, this is, this is what it's about. Again, it's about the power of voice and using it to create and do wonderful things, and mm -hmm. so... I'm just, I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed to be a part of it all. We're blessed to have you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Melanie Fiona. Thank you. Princess Fiona. Thank you, Princess Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs>